Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, friends, join me in Matthew chapter 5. Or if you don't have your Bible on you, that's okay. We put the verses up on the screen. They'll be up here in just a moment. Today's message is one that was technically included in the verse clusters from last week. We're preaching all the way through Jesus' longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and what it means to be kingdom-centered. As we think about the kingdom of God, living his ways, what, what does that look like? Jesus makes it really simple for us. These two verses were in last week's cluster, but I just thought there's, there's no way that I could do these verses justice, just these two verses, if I clustered it in and I would have probably ended up preaching like an hour. And so <laughs> I decided to, to make that wise call and just say, you know what, we're, we're, we're gonna deal with these this week. And I'm glad we did because to be honest with you, there is not a better time for this message. There's, there's just not. And um, this is a message that is deeply personal to me, just so you understand where I'm coming from. Um, today's, today's topic is on divorce. And I know that no one gets excited when those words are uttered from up front during the message time, like, ooh, a sermon on divorce, awesome. Uh, but just so you know where I'm coming from, um, my childhood, I experienced two divorces. And so I've walked through one unaware of a lot of the dynamics, but still experiencing the consequences of that divorce, uh, lifelong, and still experience those consequences today. Uh, the other one, I was much more aware, and I was a teenager, and it was really tough to walk through. And so I don't deliver this message today as someone who flippantly slings around the things I'm about to say. These are things that I have deeply experienced, not being through a divorce myself. My marriage uh, will be, um, we're celebrating 12 years this year. Um, so I may not be able to relate in that way, but I was a child that experienced divorce when I was uh, two, and then also when I was 14. And so it's deeply personal to me. And I know that many of you, if we were just to do a poll or just talk one by, you know, just one person by one person, I guarantee that a high percentage of you would say, yeah, I've, I've also been affected by divorce as well. Either having gone through one yourself or maybe your parents split up or, or maybe another way. Grandparents, uncles, aunts, we've all experienced the effects on it. And Jesus thought it was important enough to include on his most longest recorded sermon, really only three chapters of the Bible, but he found it that important. And in just these two verses, we're gonna also go from Matthew 5, 31 and 32 to we're gonna spend most of our time in Matthew 19. So if you wanna go ahead and get there as well, we're still in the book of Matthew, but which is the first book in your New Testament. If you got a paper Bible, just go to the New Testament. First one that's there, chapter 19 of Matthew, verses three through nine. And let's just... We're gonna we're gonna spend time in those two places, but let me just start with this. Um, I I came home to something very surprising yesterday. It was kind of startling. It may sound kind of trivial, but it was a big deal to me at the time. I I drove up from the grocery store and I looked at my driveway, and we have like a privacy fence, and we have a gate. And all of a sudden, I just look up, and the whole entire gate. I mean, this is a heavy, heavy wooden gate, solid wood, completely blown down. 
Remember all the wind the other day when it was kind of chilly and that, and that front was moving through and there was lots of whistling wind coming through? It blew over the gate entirely. It's completely laying on the ground. And I always freak out when things like that happen because Brandon doesn't fix things. Um, I try to fix things, but I typically end up just breaking things. I typically end up looking up a YouTube video. They make it look incredibly easy. And I go, what would a lot of us say? I could do that. Thank you. Yes, I could do that. And so... I said that. And then I get into the project and then I make six trips to Home Depot because it's never just one trip to Home Depot, right, Jordan? Never. And I usually end up just calling Jordan because this guy can fix anything. And so Jordan ends up usually coming up and helping me. But yeah, I was really discouraged because I was like, man, I got to fix that or I got to figure out how to fix that because I have three boys, uh, nine, six, and four. And we have three boys over at our house, a pretty good bit. And we have two other kids that we keep and we need to keep them safe in the backyard. And so figuring out how to fix this fence. But you know, I looked at it. I looked at this gate. It's actually the gate part. And I discovered a couple of things. Number one, the first thing I discovered was that the hardware, the hardware had been through quite a bit. The hardware was actually slowly had, had been detaching and pulling out. And we just didn't notice because the gate still worked, still open to close. What's, what's, what's a gate supposed to do? Open and close, right? So I'm like, yeah, it, it works. It's fine. It's all good. The hardware had been slowly detaching over time. It had been neglected. The hardware is small, right? There's little small screws. And they were detaching from wood. Well, let's look at the wood. The wood's rotting. Well, no wonder it detached. It's not going to hold that. The second thing, so the hardware was the first thing. The second thing was the foundation. I looked at the ground that the fence was built on. That was part of our contract. We bought the house a couple years ago. We were supposed to fix the fence because it had some issues then. And they paid a guy to come in and do it. And while he built an amazing fence with an amazing gate, there were some foundation issues right there on the ground. The ground was so soft. The ground had some issues to where it wasn't, it needed some reinforcement. It needed a better foundation. And so again, I'm not a fix-it guy, but I'm noticing these things. I'm noticing what the problems are. And I just could not help but relate that to what we're talking about today because marriage is the exact same thing. And maybe if we're honest this morning, some of the hardware in our marriage is broken or detaching, or maybe it has, or maybe it hasn't. I don't know. You do that self-evaluation. It's for us all to do. Or maybe if we're super honest, we say, you know what? I'm not sure if my marriage is really built on Christ or not. Because a marriage that is not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ is doomed to fail from the the get-go. Our lives ought to be built on Jesus Christ. This is God's plan for us. And so if you take two people that have both built their lives upon Jesus Christ and put them together in a marriage, it's a really good situation. Still imperfect people, still going to have problems, but Christ is their firm foundation. And statistically speaking, when we see that Christ is not the firm foundation of marriages by and large, and furthermore, when we get into thinking about divorce and we think about marriages, uh, we say it like this today. We say, hey, it just didn't work out. It just didn't work out. It's called a no-fault divorce, right? We just, it just didn't work out. You know, every 42 seconds, there's a divorce in our country. Every 42 seconds. By the time I finish this sermon, this will be about half an hour, by the time I finish, it'll be about roughly 50 people that will have been through a divorce by the time I'm done. And 
over the lifetime of an average marriage of eight years, which is how long typically when someone is married and then divorced, that's typically eight years. That's the average. In that eight-year span, about six million people will be divorced. And so this is a relevant topic, amen? And we've all experienced either the effects of divorce or maybe even divorce itself at some point in our lives. So we gotta look at this. We gotta look at what Jesus said about divorce. That's what we do whenever we encounter something tough in life. We go, hey, what did Jesus say about that? And Jesus has something to say about everything. And so it was even more common back in Jesus' day. Did you know that? Even more common than it is now. We, we look around, it's about 50%. That's the divorce rate right now. Maybe higher or lower. Second marriages are 60. Third marriages are 70. It goes up about 10% for each marriage, typically. But in Jesus' day, in the Greco-Roman culture, if you lived in Rome and you were in the Roman Empire, if you were a husband and you're married to your wife, you could literally just do a DIY divorce. You could just go grab an index card and just write with a pen, just say, I don't want to be married anymore. You don't have to take it to the courthouse or anything. You're just like, boom, you're not married, out. And what was happening was women were just being abandoned left and right. Men were flippantly divorcing women and leaving them hungry, starving, abandoned, just left on the side of the street. And it's no secret to us. We all have taken uh, some sort of world history. Women were not valued very greatly in this society anyway. Neither were children, by the way. We'll get to that another week. So in this historical context, in Rome, you could just write your own certificate, boom, done. Divorce is messy. Because of sin, it's become a very complicated very, very, very complicated topic. And I know, it, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's tough to preach a message on divorce. It's tough to stand up here and do it because um, I don't know your story. But what I can promise you is that the words of Jesus will speak to your story this morning. And if we can focus on his words, I believe they will bring you hope and peace this morning, no matter what you've gone through or what you're going through right now. And so what about the Jews? Jesus was a Jew, right? He was a rabbi. He was a, he was a different kind of rabbi. All these, all these other rabbis had, had different slants and ways of doing things. And Jesus came along and did stuff different. That's what made him stand out so much. And in his day, what people were doing, especially the Pharisees, the Pharisees were like the religious elite. They were like the people that you would look at and you would say, oh, those guys got it together. And they had the robes and the tassels and they were like the, you know, they were the hot shots. And what they were teaching all the people about divorce was this simple thing, was that if we look at the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, everybody say Deuteronomy. It's a fun word. It's even funner to spell. It's even more fun to spell. Deuteronomy 24, verses one through four, we're not gonna go there and look at it because it's just time. But if you go and look at what the Old Testament said, what God's law said about divorce, God's very clear that A, divorce is not plan A. And let's just go ahead and put this, this truth up here, just so you can write it down real quick. It's a good time to put this up. God's design for marriage. If you don't get anything today, then make sure you, you land here. Ready? God's design for marriage is one man united to one woman until separated by death. That's the plan. That's plan A. And what the Jews were doing at the time, they were saying, well, actually, Moses said in Deuteronomy to get a divorce. They weren't just saying that they could. They were saying, no, Moses, Moses commanded that we do this. And so Jesus is here to sort this out. But really, there were two rabbis. One 
named Shammai and one named Hillel. And Shammai was the one that Jesus was more on board with. He said, hey, divorce is only permissible if some kind of sexual sin was committed, if there was some kind of adultery. Hillel said divorce is permissible if a wife displeases her husband or the way that, the way that Deuteronomy 24 put it, the words in this passage are some uncleanliness in her or literally in the Hebrew, if you translate it literally, some kind of nakedness which alluded to sexual sin. And so one said, you can only get a divorce if there's been some kind of sexual sin, someone's been unfaithful, and then the divorce can happen. And typically it was only initiated by the men in that culture. Hillel said, divorce is permissible if your wife makes you any kind of upset at all. You could get divorced for burning the toast. You could get divorced if your eyes were too close together, if the husband thought the wife's nose was not the right shape, if her head was sunken in in the back, I'm not trying to be funny. This is, these, are the, these are the things that people were getting divorced over. It was anything. It was any kind of preferential anything. And a man could quickly divorce his wife, kick her out with no possessions, no money, no goods, no home, no, hey, let's get a lawyer and talk about who's got what and all the legal, no, nothing. Just boom, out. And Jesus was tired of it. See, what Jesus did, people, people get Jesus wrong sometimes, and even God. Sometimes people think that God really looks down on women. And it's just couldn't be further from the truth. That really deserves a whole other Sunday. Um, women were made in God's image, and they're incredibly, if you're a woman here today, you were you made in God's image, and you are incredibly um, dignified and, and worthy and valuable to the Lord our God. And what Jesus came to do was to take up for these women because they were being mistreated left and right, and he was gonna put these men in their place. Now, today's message is for everybody, but I'm giving you the context, the historical context, because it matters. And so, we talked about how women were being abandoned, and we're talking about how the Pharisees at the time, the Pharisees showed up to Jesus teaching all the time, and they were like the trolls. You guys know, um, not, not the movie with the hair and the singing, but um, like internet trolls. Raise, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, the trolls, all right? The, the trolls show up in the comment section. All right, some, you know, just put the Michael Jackson gif up there, eating popcorn, you know, I'm just here for whatever. But then others actually get involved and they're just there to say negative things. And those trolls show up in, you know, at work and at school too, right? You know, we used to, at school, you know, bullies and, and different things like that and just curmudgeons and just these people are just negative and they're just, so these people followed Jesus around. They were the religious elite. They were super jealous of Jesus because he's a rabbi getting all the attention and they're Pharisees going, they're not listening to us anymore. They're going to follow this guy. And so they test them and said, hey, Jesus, what about Sabbath? What about Sabbath? They tried to ask him these trick questions. You ever been asked a trick question where like the question comes and you're like, there's no right answer. To oh no, oh no, I'm trapped. It's a trap. Get out. They tried to do this to Jesus over and over again. It didn't work because Jesus is God in human flesh. And so he's omniscient. He knows everything. And so when they tried to do this with Jesus, he would, always, he would always say something, and you ought to take some time and just read, read through a gospel and just see Jesus do this. It's amazing. He just gives them the perfect answer every time. Hey, Jesus, what about Sabbath? Uh, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what he told them. You guys got it wrong because, uh, oh, yeah, I made that up. <laughs> they were trying to say that he misunderstood it, and Jesus is just shaking his head going, yeah, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They tried to trick him about other things. He would give him the perfect answer, things that only God would say, by the way. He clearly revealed himself to be God. Then they were gonna get him with divorce. So here it is, verse three, ready? Let's put this up here. Matthew 19, verse three. 
Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on, what's that next word? Any grounds. Is there like any reason, Jesus, that is lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And here's what Jesus said. And I love these three words that Jesus says to them because this would have hit this, this would have stung to them, ready? Haven't you read? Because these were guys that had significant chunks of the Old Testament memorized. I mean, like, whole, like the whole book of Deuteronomy <laughs> memorized. All of Genesis memorized. And so when Jesus says, haven't you read? That was, that was a little savage. I mean, that was, you know, it's kind of, you know, that's our modern word for savage. He wasn't being sinful, but that was, that was his way of poking at them a little bit. And Jesus did this a lot. He said, haven't, haven't you guys read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. So once again, God's designed for marriage. Jesus rolls it out. It takes him back to the very beginning. What does he say? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He's quoting Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh. So, verse 6, so they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, and here's, here's the humdinger, ready? What God has joined together, let no one separate. And I want you to hold on to those last four words as well. So Jesus unpacks it. He says, hey, we gotta go back to the beginning. And that's often the approach that we need to take whenever we have questions about ethics. What is ethics? It's a fancy word that means what's right and what's wrong. What, how, should, how should we live? What's lawful, what's not? What's good, what's bad? Ethics. And so whenever we have an ethics-based question, we go back to the beginning of what God laid out because what did God do in the book of Genesis and in the Old Testament and in his law? He laid out ethics. He told us life works better when you live it this way. 10 commandments, anybody, right? The 10 commandments, that's what they're for. They were there as like the 10 main commandments and there were others, but these 10 kind of cover everything. And so this is why divorce should be off the table in a marriage going into the marriage with terms and conditions of a, you know, let's say you enter in with a prenuptial agreement. You guys heard of those before where you, where you if you're not familiar, a, a prenup is where you, you, you get married, but before you do, you're already deciding how, like, if, if stuff goes wrong, who gets what? And how's it gonna work out? So you're already having all these contingencies and safe hatches and different things like that, usually based out of fear, usually based out of self-preservation. But marriage isn't built on fear and self-preservation. Marriage is built on sacrifice, amen? And so we go into marriage, it's the most vulnerable relationship you'll ever enter to in your entire life. You, you give your spouse everything. I give, I give my bride all the rocks to throw at me if she would like, and she gives all the rocks to me, but we don't because we love each other, at least ideally on a perfect day. Happens sometimes, right? You know, but you're vulnerable. You're like, this is who I am. I'm not trying to hide anything. And anytime we try to conceal that, oh boy, it gets messy really fast. This is why divorce should be off the table. It should not be a word that we utter in our house. Not, not, not to heap shame on anybody or to try to pretend like it doesn't happen, but it shouldn't even be in the terms of a husband and a wife argument. It should not be used for leverage or manipulation. Well, I'll divorce you if you don't do this. Well, if you don't get together, I'm gonna divorce, you know, like those kind of tactics. That's, that's, that's cheap. I'm gonna call us to, to, those of you that are married in the room, to put this word outside of your home and outside of your heart. I'm gonna encourage you to do that. Going into the marriage with these terms and conditions, 
There's just no place for it. Jesus said, or actually they, they respond after this in verse seven. Let's keep going. Why then, they asked him, why then, okay, Jesus, if you say God's design is a man and woman united for life, a man shall leave his father and mother, become one flesh. Okay, all right, let, let, let no man separate. Well, then why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And here's where they're confused. They thought Moses was commanding divorce, but here's the truth about scripture, ready? God never commands divorce. He doesn't ever command it. And the commands of God are important, amen? The commands of God are the, are the oughts. They're the things we ought to do. And none of us succeeded all those oughts. In fact, we, we stumble all over the place. All of us do. But we know the oughts. And there's no ought for divorce. God never says, yes, do that. And so they attempted to use the authority and command of Moses and the law, the capital L law, the Old Testament and prophets, to challenge Jesus. They tried to get him with the law to justify their common practice of divorcing for any reason imaginable because most of the people followed the Hillel guy. Remember the guy that was like, you burnt the toast, your eyes are wrong, you're, 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 you're misshapen, you're, your feet are swollen, you're, you're like whatever, like they were just getting divorced for whatever reason. And he said, those people thought Moses said, you're commanded, but all that was ever given was a permission. And so we're gonna look at this permission but Jesus responded with a cutting truth, and don't, don't miss this this morning. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because why? The hardness of a heart. And divorce is typically preceded by a hardness of heart somewhere. It is. And again, um, you know, the Pharisees were getting ripped on all the time for having hard hearts. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying, not, not, not because they were dumb, but because they just, they didn't have soft hearts that could receive the seed of God's truth. And so he says, because of your hard hearts, you don't understand. It was not like that from when? The beginning. It's God's words, God's plan, God's design we've been talking about. And so he responds with this cutting truth. And it's what we said the whole series. Jesus is after our hearts, friends. Hear me this morning. He's after your heart. Jesus cares about our hearts. It's easy to just worry about what's on the outside. As long as our marriage looks good, as long as people think we're good, as long as when we go to the store, we're not cussing each other out in Walmart parking lot, or, you know, as long as we just keep it behind the front door, you know, whatever, you know, as long as we just keep it there, we're good. But no, Jesus, Jesus wants to go further than that. And when we all give our lives to Christ, you'd be just, it's, it's amazing. I would say you'd be surprised at how healthy our relationships can be and that we would all be surprised if we just seek Christ together. But it's always shocking how much better it is with Jesus. You're like, wow, this really, this really does work. Like God's not kidding around. When, when we do things his way, things work together. They fit together like a puzzle. And so they attempted to trip him up. Jesus sets him straight. Jesus says, he's after our hearts. And then he told him in uh, verse, verse nine, Jesus says these three words. He says, he's a lot. I tell you. And here's what he says. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So let's go there for a second. Let's read Matthew 5, 31 through 32 now, which is expanding this verse nine. Ready? It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, there are those other words Jesus loves, the contrast, but I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits 
adultery. So two bombshell things that we need to look at. First of all, God never commands divorce, but he does give certain permissions, or some people call it the exception clause. I like the word permissions because that's the word that we see here. And though divorce is permitted in specific circumstances, it is never commanded. And so the permissions to divorce, just so we're clear, are sexual immorality. The Greek word here, if we look at the New Testament's translated from Greek, so sometimes we got to go back to that Greek word because that really helps us get the whole word. It's the word pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. And that word pornea did not just refer to what we would think of as like an affair. If someone has an affair, and we know what that means, we know what goes on in an affair, different details, different situations, but we know generally what an affair is. Pornea is much broader than an affair. And so this is very interesting to look at because most of the time people just think, well, yeah, I'll be faithful to my spouse, but all this other sexual sin is still in bounds. And it's not. Jesus makes it clear. This was a wide variety. This is, this is the word pornea is typically translated. Sometimes, like there's a Greek word for adultery, like just standard adultery that we would think of like that, having a, a fair relationship. And then there's pornea. And pornea is much broader than that. And so why, do we, why are we talking about Greek words and, and limiting this? Because I want us to not think too small about these permissions and that there are, Jesus is saying there are certain situations where it's permitted. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 16 talk about that if a believing spouse is left or abandoned by an unbelieving partner, then they have permission to also uh, engage in a, in a divorce. And so we have those two areas. But it is never, ever, ever required. And there are many instances where I would encourage any of us, again, not knowing specific situations, not knowing specific details, but this truth still stands that God is a God of reconciliation, friends. Reconciliation, that means it's broken and messed up, but we're gonna fix it. We're gonna, I'm gonna invite you back. And what did we just sing earlier? We're called to forgive those that have sinned against us. We're called to forgive those. And so I know personally, one of my, one of my, one of my best friends in the entire world um, you know, had, a, had a situation in his marriage where it could have ended up as a divorce. His wife showed him mercy and showed him grace. And they have survived that, 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 that tragic episode that they had, but God, God took that and he redeemed it. And now their marriage is healthy and it's an amazing testimony of the gospel. And so just because we have permission for something doesn't always mean that we should. And I'm not here to dictate, hey, if, the, if it's in this, in this range of what Jesus says was permissible, should, should you or should you not? I'm not here to tell you that. Or I'm not here to suggest to anybody that. But what we do want to do is we do want to make sure that we have sought our spouse's heart like God seeks our hearts and that we're modeling this reconciliation. And so God's character and kingdom agenda, we talk about being kingdom-centered, is built on his desire for restoration, if possible. Sometimes it's not possible, friends, I know that. Sometimes it's not possible. But I would argue that many times it is. It is possible. It seems impossible, but Jesus says time and time again, yes, with, with man, this is impossible. There's no hope. But with God, anything is possible. And so we shouldn't give up quickly 
on the most essential relationship in our life. And if there are, um, if there are problems that we're ignoring right now, if there are problems we're kicking down the road, sometimes the hardest step, man, for us to take in our culture today, we're, we're, just, we're just prideful sometimes, if we're honest, is counseling. You think, man, if we go to marriage counseling, then, oh, man, we're sunk. Oh, man, it's going to be, you know, oh, oh that's, that's it. Guys, it's one of the wisest things. You know, there's such a thing as preventative counseling, too. You know, sometimes it's just good to go and talk things out with somebody else that has skills to help you kind of see where each other's coming from and all of that. I'm very, I'm very much a fan of all, all types of counseling. And so, lastly here, and I would encourage you to write this down. Those, those who are guilty of the sin of adultery, this is, a, this is a broad truth statement that applies to any type of adultery or sexual sin. Ready? Those who are guilty of the sin of adultery should repent and pursue God's standard of the sanctity of marriage. All of us look back on things that we've done and realize that they did not line up with God's best for us in his word. And the verse that gets a lot of people's attention is when Jesus says, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Because then you think about, "Uh uh-oh, I've remarried. I've been divorced and remarried, so is my, is my present marriage perpetually adulterous? Is it forever adulterous? Is it cursed? That's not what Jesus is saying here, friends. He's saying that initially, because in God's eyes, the couple is still married. We have to realize that, that when an unbiblical divorce happens, God is the one that marries people, by the way. We should have started there, maybe. Again, I'm trying to keep this sermon as brief as possible. But God is, God, God is the one that, that sanctifies and ordains the marriage. Like he's the one really doing the marriage. And so you can do whatever you want to at the courthouse, but an unbiblical marriage is still, God's, in God's eyes, you're still married. And so that's why Jesus says that. But make no mistake, and I want you to hear, please, please hear my heart in this this morning. This is to bring you hope and peace. No matter what we've done, we can always, always come to to, to Christ's cross, to, to God's throne and say, Jesus, I have sinned and I need forgiveness. I need to confess that sin. I need, I need to submit to you and your plan. I'm sorry. I ask for your mercy. And 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible says that he's faithful when we do that, that when we confess our sins, that he's faithful to justify and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so sometimes, that marriage that I just described, the newly married couple needs to repent together and just say, hey, this may not have started the way it needed to, but we're gonna make sure it ends the way that it needs to. And that's true in our lives, isn't it, friends? That sometimes relationships are messy and sometimes even, even in dating, sometimes things start the wrong way. Some, some, sometimes some sin is committed in the dating relationship, right? But if that couple repents together and pursues marriage like God said to pursue it, there's always an opportunity for a fresh start. I just want everybody to know that here today. That's the goodness of the gospel. We tell our kids that all the time. There's always a chance for a fresh start, no matter how hopeless it seems, because Satan will try to convince you it's hopeless. Like your situation, well, yeah, yeah, what Brandon was talking about at Anchor Church, yeah, generally speaking, that's true, except for your case. Except for your case. There's no hope for you. We have a hard time believing hope for ourselves, don't we? It's easy to believe it for other people. Oh, but my situation's different. It's not. It is different, but it's not so different that God can't restore, that God can't heal. Only the enemy of God would say that. So I'm here this morning 
to remind everybody in here and to remind specifically those of you who have been divorced. Can I just tell you something? And if you've been divorced in the room, I'm, I'm sorry for how the church has treated divorced people over the years. I really am. While, while I didn't personally commit every one of those sins that I'm talking about with just looking down on those who have, have experienced divorce and who have walked through the, the hurt and pain and sorrow of, of that, um, I'm just here to remind you today that you're not, you're not damaged goods. You're not, you're not anything but loved and valued and cherished by God. And there is hope for you to walk forward in restoration. You're not broken forever. Yes, there's a scar there. It's just like a death, right, friends? The death of a marriage, it, it leaves a scar. Just like the death of my father at 12 years old, it left a scar on me. That's always gonna be there. But I've experienced redemption in that scar. And so you have a scar from that divorce, but God can provide redemption for that. And God can even, and here's the crazy thing, God can even use that for, his, for, for your good and for his glory. The enemy comes in and tries to make it out for evil, but our God intends it for good. And that's what our good God does. And that's why at the end here, friends, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song about his goodness. It's exactly what we're gonna do during this time. And I just wanna invite you to, I wanna invite you to experience his goodness today. And here's a way you can do that. There's a couple ways. Maybe if you're honest in the room, you'd be like, hey, I'm hearing all this stuff about God. And I know of the God you're talking about, but I do not personally have a relationship with him. When we say have a relationship, we mean that we walk with him in, in this life and we submit to his ways. And here's the, here's the truth, friends, that sin, that's doing the things that God said not to do and failing to do the oughts that he, that he said to do, those things separate us from God. They put us on two different mountains, way far away from each other, in a canyon in the middle, bigger than the grandest canyon you could imagine, a space too big. It'd be like trying to jump from one side to grab an umbrella and try to leap across the chasm and try to land on the other side with that umbrella. You guys have seen the YouTube videos of this being tried. It doesn't work, does it? No, you'll fall into that canyon and you will only experience um, the worst because God desires for us to be brought back to him. And that's that reconciliation word. And the only way is through the bridge of Christ Jesus. It's the only way is through Jesus Christ and what he's done. Let me tell you what Jesus did. He came 2,000 years ago, walked this earth. He lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And he did that for us. He aced the test that we would all get an F on. He did that for us. So that when he died on a cross, so that when he died on the cross that he died on, on, on the hill of Calvary, he said, it is finished. What he meant was he paid for our sin on that cross. He paid it in full so that when we put our faith in him as Lord and Savior, that we're forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future. Everything you've ever said or did, everything you've committed today and everything you'll ever do, not as some kind of uh, cheap grace, but as a total and full salvation that you can bank in and trust in because he's a perfect savior. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, your salvation from sin, because God, God judges sin, he does. He doesn't leave sin unjudged or else he would be a terrible God. He would be not righteous or not just at all. And the Bible says that we'll all be judged for our sin unless Christ was judged for our sin on our behalf. And so we trust in him to walk in that freedom. And when we do that, friends, Jesus says we're born again. We, we were walking in spiritual death, walking around, sending it up, and Jesus gives us spiritual life. 
And I wanna invite you today to receive that spiritual life. Maybe you've heard a message like this before, a gospel presentation, the good news that you can be forgiven and restored with God, but maybe you've never taken that step. Maybe you've heard it 10, 20, 30 times. You've never taken that step. I wanna encourage you today, this morning, to take that step because I believe that God may have brought you here for that reason. And you can grab the card next to you. There's a little box you can check that says, hey, I'm giving my life to Christ today. And you may not even understand all of what that means, but we can sit down and talk about it. You, you, you just know I need to be walking with Jesus. And you can check that box today and start your journey with him. And you'll receive new life. The Bible says everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so let me invite you to that. If you've never made that decision in your life to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe others of you this morning, maybe this topic just, it affects you like it affects me. It just, it just really weighs on you heavy when you even think about it for a variety of reasons. Maybe you're walking through it right now. Maybe you're fresh on the other side of a divorce. Maybe it was 10 years ago and it still feels like it was yesterday because it still hurts. Or maybe it feels like it was a lifetime ago, but, but the scars are still very real and they still affect you now. I just wanna give you hope that God can give you a restoration in that whole entire season of pain. He can take it and he can use it for good. And I just wanna invite you to seek him during this time. In fact, let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. And I wanna invite you just to pray, a, just an honest prayer of your own, whatever, whatever you need to ask God for today. That's, that's my simple prompt, friends. He says, ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to you. So, so ask him for strength, Forgiveness, hope, a glimmer of light, whatever it is that you need today from him. The Bible says he's our shepherd. He provides for us. Just tell him. We're gonna enter into a response time and this is, this is your time just to talk to him. I know it's quiet. Sometimes there's awkwardness and quiet. That's okay, it's just the culture we live in. Just, just, just talk to him. He's listening. He's for you. He's not against you. Thank you for your, your goodness, God. Thank you for your salvation, God, that it's entirely of you. It's not anything that we could add to it, Lord, even though we try think that we could try. But God, we just surrender to you in this time. I just ask that you would stir in the hearts of every person in here. Stir in our hearts and draw us closer to you, God, that we would see your goodness and that we would be compelled to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.